Northern Rivers Food and Southern Cross University present Business Bites. This podcast series discusses, explores and evaluates all the aspects which influence and contribute to the wonderful world of food and beverage production, manufacturing and distribution here in the beautiful Northern Rivers. I'm Angela Caterns. Join us as we delve into what makes this vibrant industry successful in Business Bites. Episode 1, Business Health Checks. What are they? When should you be doing them? And how do you do them? Joining me now is Associate Professor David Noble. David is a lecturer and researcher with more than 30 years' experience in management roles in the for-profit, not-for-profit and tertiary education sectors. Hello and welcome, David. Thank you very much. So can you talk to us about a business health check? What is it? Can it be compared to a, a you know, a, a physical health check that you have at your doctor's once a year? I actually think that's a really good analogy. So we do tend to go to the doctor once a year and we get the full all over health check, if you like. But at the same time, we don't neglect our health on a day-to-day basis. So this is an, an opportunity for an organisation, a, a small business, a company, to just put a stake in the ground. Okay, where are we today? Are we achieving our goals and objectives? Have we got any problems that we need to address? And so this idea that we, we do a deep dive into all parts of our business, not just finances, but all the rest of it as well, is really important. Mm-hmm. How often do you reckon you should do that? Well, it depends on the business and it depends on the environment. If the business is in a high state of growth or in a very complex and turbulent environment, like we've just been through, mm-hmm. then you might do it more frequently just to make sure that the moving parts that are within your business haven't escaped your notice and changed in a way that could be dangerous to the business or have a, a long-term impact. Mm-hmm. And so, David, you've worked with uh, with businesses about undertaking these kind of processes. Um, can you tell us a little about uh, how a business, you know, sorts out the important stuff to look at and and what's some of the advice that you give them? Well, it's really interesting. One of the first things I would do when I went into a business as a manager is look at the financials. The numbers don't lie. And it's really important to have a, a really good idea at the, across the financials, but also across other areas. So for instance, one of the first things I'd look at would be debtors. Where are our debtors? What sort of debtors are they? Are they long-term debtors? Have they uh, had a history of not paying us over a period of time and so forth? What's been the practice of the organisation in trying to recover those debts? And importantly, are we still doing business with those same companies that may not be paying us in a timely manner and allowing this bad habit to go on. So there's things like that that you need to have a look at on an annual basis at least, but probably far more frequently than that. Mm -hmm. Second part of it is um, I tend to have a look at the commercial arrangements that organisations have, and I'm particularly thinking things like um, long-term leases and so forth. And, and I'll tell you how important this is as using an example. I went into one company and there was lots and lots of computers. And this company relies on computers for designing things and that sort of thing. When I had a really good look at them, I thought, 
gee, these computers look a bit old. And then I started hearing conversations with the operators saying, these are so slow, they're mm-hmm. really bad. Mm-hmm. So I started doing some digging and I found out that the company seven years earlier had taken on a complete new fleet of computers on a lease that was supposed to have been renewed at five years, where they would have got a whole new fleet of computers. They had been paying for these computers for seven years, and they had really old, slow computers. So there was a productivity issue there. But worse, when I actually started digging into it, the, the leasing company said, yeah, sure, you can return them all. Just make sure you return them in the original packaging. So seven years had gone by, it was not available. So I then had to negotiate, how do we get out of this? Mm. And I had to go to the directors of the organization who owned the company and whose money this was coming, whose pocket this was, this money was coming out of and say, look, I'm sorry, but we need to pay this lot something like three and a half thousand dollars just to get out of the lease Mm. and then buy a whole new fleet of computers. So there's tiny little hidden things like that, that often go unnoticed that when you are doing a health check, you shouldn't just focus on the profit and loss or the balance sheet. You should actually look at these other aspects of the business. I I, I remember one of the terms that one of the, uh, the, the directors used and he said, so David has found where we are hemorrhaging money. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so it's really important to find those little places where you might have um, an ongoing commitment that is actually not serving the, the company's business anymore. And I would say that in today's subscription environment, this is going to get worse and worse and worse where people just say, oh yeah, I can pay $50 a month or $100 a month for something. And you need to find out whether it is still serving its purpose and adding value to your business. Mm. So in the example that you just gave us, David, this this detail about the, com- the lease for the computers had been overlooked or they'd been too busy to notice it. What do you think had happened? I, I actually think they hadn't been doing their health checks. I think they hadn't been looking into all of those other areas of the business. Um, I'm not an accountant. My predecessor was an accountant and spent a lot of time looking at the balance sheet and the profit and loss, but didn't look at some of these other areas. Mm. How interesting. So what is, give us some more examples, if you will, of other factors that, um, that should form part of a good, strong business health check. Well, one of the other issues that I find is that a lot of companies aren't really across their long-term sales and long-term order book, shall I say. That's probably the better description of it. And so it's really important for companies to know what is in the pipeline. And if your order book is drying up, then you need to do something about it. Because in many companies, something that you do now won't bear fruit for six months, 12 months, 18 months. And so it's really important that people have a constant look at their order book as well as their debtors and make sure that it's, there is enough to keep all of your employees and your family fed in the next few months. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so uh, let's talk about the differences between, um, you know, a medium-sized business perhaps with 10 employees and, um, a- and a larger one a big food manufacturer, for instance, what kind of process or approach could they use? What, what are the sort of things you'd advise them to look at? Well, 
In terms of the larger manufacturers, they need to be looking not just at their order book, not just at their debtors, but they need to be looking at their suppliers. And one of the one of the the risks that people fall into is this idea of set and forget. Okay, we've got a supplier, they meet our needs, and then they basically don't bother changing from that supplier. So to give another example, I took over as a business manager of a university uh, accommodation college in Melbourne, uh, from Melbourne University. Um, wasn't owned by Melbourne University. I'd spent a little bit of time there when I started digging into some of the contracts that they had. So one of the contracts I had was they fed these students seven, uh, seven days a week, three meals a day, tw- you know, 24-7 basically they were mm. providing food. Mm. Um, and when I started looking into the contract, I realised that the contract actually hadn't been changed for 15 years. They had the same supplier that they'd had 15 years ago and it just got rolled over and rolled over and rolled over and rolled over. So I made the extremely controversial decision at that imagine. particular point <laughs> to go to market. And so I sent, uh, identified a number of uh, caterers, catering companies, um, sent, sent it out. We saved $250,000 a year just by wow. that one action. Wow. So this idea of supply set and forget with suppliers can actually cost you a lot of money in the long run. I want to temper that though by saying that in some cases it is worthwhile staying with a particular supplier because they have intellectual property that is really useful to you. They might know your systems and and they might actually have integrated systems with you. They're really important suppliers, but nonetheless, you still need to make sure that there's not someone else in the market who can also do that. So you need to keep them honest, if you like, in terms of that. Mm -hmm. And so, David, how should a business incorporate their strategic plan into a health check? Uh, uh, is Is it necessary to weave that into the process? Absolutely. Strategic plans are fantastic and it's really important to have them. But they need to be flexible. We all know that the environment in which we work, in which we play, changes all the time. And too many companies, and particularly small organisations, think, well, we paid a consultant to help develop our strategic plan three years ago. We're going to stick to it and get our value out of it. When in actual fact, that strategic plan may no longer serve the purposes for the company because things have changed in the company. Or it may no, no longer serve purposes in the market because the marketplace has changed or the regula- regulations around what they do has changed. So it's really important to make sure that you your strategic plan is part of that uh, annual health check or m- more often than annual. Mm-hmm. And you look at the, the connection between that strategic plan and your business as it stands today. Yeah, right. Um, And so are there any pitfalls to doing a a business health check? Are there things that a business owner should try and avoid? So several years ago, I did some training for a company and I developed a number of of little characters, if you like. And I can't remember what the other ones were, but the one I remember that maybe it's because – it re- was reflective of me. But um, the one I remember is Analytical Andy. And 
analytical Andy spent all of his time analysing and analysing and analysing, not necessarily doing. And so it's really important to make sure that we don't overemphasise this idea of an analysis of our business, that we actually do it, but we put some boundaries around it. And it's really hard. It's a balance, really, because you've got to, just like we have with our health, just to go back to the first question, where we do go to the doctor once a year and, and have a really good health check. Nonetheless, if something changes in our body or, or on our skin or something like that, if the colour of one of our moles changes, mm. we will go off to the doctor, you know. So we, we keep a, an awareness of what's going and, and going on. And that has to happen as well with the business. So that, that needs to be in the background. But if you spend all of your time analysing where you're at, and projecting forward, you actually won't do the stuff that's really important within your business. And now, that is connecting yeah. with customers, you know, making mm -hmm. sure that you produce what they want, making sure that the staff are looked after. And so those, those things all need to be kept in a balance. Mm -hmm. And so, David, for a business which hasn't done this before, What's the starting point? Do you hire an accountant to do your business health check? Do you buy a computer program that does it for you? What's, what's the process? Well, I guess one of the issues that I find in a lot of small businesses in particular is that the owners of those businesses do just that. They farm it out. They rely on an accountant or something like that. Um, I don't think there's any excuse for business owners not to develop financial literacy. In other words, they need themselves to be able to understand what's happening in their balance sheet, understand what's happening in their profit and loss, to be able to look at debt to uh, asset ratios, to be able to look at debtor days. And so the first place is, to, is for the small business owner to become literate in those areas. And there's lots of courses around that, you know, uh, accounting for non-accounting, uh, non-accountants or mm -hmm. accounting for managers and, and, and little um, training courses like that. So I don't think there's any excuse for them not to do that. So that's the first place that they need to start. They need to get financial literacy. But then they just need to print out the reports that are nowadays available in copious quantities and in pretty much any format you like from Xero or Myob or QuickBooks or whatever the system that they're using is and, and just pour over them until they're thoroughly familiar with them and where they see numbers that don't look right to highlight them and then dig into them and think about it. So that's the first place that someone should start. Become financially literate, get to know your books and then once you've done that, to start looking at these other items like your debtors, like your debt, etc. Mm-hmm. Fair enough. That makes a lot of sense. Good on you, David. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Our next guests, Matt and Monique, work for the very successful food company Brook Farm, based in the Byron Shire. Matt Ott is head of sales. He comes from a non-foodie background and was head of sales, then national account director for Lego in the UK. Monique Smith is marketing director of Brook Farm. She's had an extensive background in marketing beauty brands, including L'Oreal and Garnier. She specialises in consumer marketing and brand development and strategy. Welcome to you both. 
Thank you so much. So tell us about your roles at, at Brook Farm. Matt, you go first. Well, yes, I'm um, head of sales and have a, a team of uh, six, seven salespeople that are based predominantly in Byron Bay with me and one down in Sydney. Uh, and we distribute our products globally. I think it's something like 20, 25 countries uh, where we operate distributors and uh, export agents and things like that. So head all of that up. Huge. It's huge now, isn't it? It is. It's and growing very well. We're having a very successful year so far this year, financially. Mm-hmm. So plenty more to come and plenty of opportunity to realise yet. And Monique, tell us about your role at Brook Farm. Yeah, so I'm head of marketing. Um, and so I guess as a local Australian brand, very much in charge of that sort of encompasses the local brand strategy, the communication strategy, looking at portfolio, looking at packaging, your media, how we support the sales team in store. Um, certainly e-coms become a bigger and a bigger piece of the pie um, as well and also media as well and then within my team I have an e-com manager who looks after sort of e-com and social and then also a graphic designer as well. Mm-hmm. And and so how has the, the Brook Farm business changed over the years? I don't think you've been there that long, have you? No, I've been there just oh, nearly a year now, but mm-hmm. yeah, Matt's probably got another year on top of me. Yeah, mm-hmm. as, as you can tell. No, and so are there, uh, are there changes you can tell us about? Yes, well, the family business, uh, it's a family business. It started about 20 years ago, so it's changed a hell of a lot since then. Um, the Brook family packed everything in their lounge room and kitchen, took it off-site to bake at a local bakery and then brought it back to the house to bag. So from those simple, uh, that simple history, it's grown heaps till now. Um, they also own their farm, a macadamia farm up, up above Byron Bay. So uh, they do tours there now um, with Cape Island Distillery, which is another part of the family business. So yeah, from those humble beginnings where the first customer was a post office and uh, Martin was selling products out the back of the car to what it is now is quite a remarkable and fantastic story to be able to distribute our products around the world uh, have our brand on airlines like Emirates and Qantas internationally and domestically is is a fantastic thing. And we we support local retail. We started with that. So we, we have grown with, through independent retail domestically and also food service. So we, we supply hotels and cafes and restaurants and things like that. So uh, it's quite an amazing story and amazing business. And so how do you plan in that business? Well, we have a number of things we, we plan. <laughs> um, We have a financial year budget process, uh, so that is then tracked monthly and quarterly and somewhat weekly against our sales target. We forecast uh, through capacity planning, and that's a big improvement area for us, uh, forecast by SKU, by dollars. Um, We plan strategies in the short, medium and long term that flow onto each department strategy. So while we have a Brook Farm one, we have a a sales strategy that helps execute that and one has a marketing strategy that helps execute that. Uh, We look at our sales ambitions and our sort of a moonshot over five years. We look at new product development over two, three years. Mon and I share a sales and marketing calendar for 12, 18 months out so that we're focusing on the right product and that we collaborate with operations so that they can get the, the right ingredients and packaging and things like that to support that. 
Mm-hmm. Complicated. <laughs> Monique, do you want to add to that? Oh, look, I think, you know, as Matt said, it is it is an, an annual process, but then it's always, you know, reset because there's the planning, but there's in the, and there's implementation. So I think a lot of the most important meetings we probably have are those implementation meetings and how we're tracking. And again, between Matt and I, we sort of have quarterly sales and marketing meetings where, you know, what do we have planned? How's it all going? What's the market looking like? And what can we do to improve and, and make things happen? Um and I think also what the business does really, really well in terms of outside of sales and marketing is being very open with the business, how they plan the finances and how those finances are tracking as well. So Will's very good at planning that um, and communicating that on a weekly basis with finance so that we are really trying to achieve those goals. Mm-hmm. Um, so it sounds like you're really on top of it. We've been talking about conducting a regular business health check mm. on your business. So you do it all in-house, is that right? Or do you bring in uh, outside help? Uh, yes, so mainly that is in-house. What we have, that's for in terms of, I guess, financial health checks, um, in terms of capacity planning health checks, certainly in terms of, I guess, marketing health checks for me. It's, you know, how do we check in with the consumer? We don't have nearly as much data as I would have had in my old world. I could have given you the penetration data and the sell-through data and our and our, our market share. But at the moment, you know, we have our sell-in data so we can track how well we're doing in retail from that. I obviously have e-commerce, which is great to be able to um, check in with that that sort of health check as well in terms of are we getting more traffic, um, how's conversion going, are people happy when they get there, are they wanting to buy, what is our return rate, are they coming back? Um, so we do all that and then, um, and then yeah, as I said, we do also in terms of get external help is probably more with the cultural piece. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have had recently a, a cultural survey um, done within the company and now we're sort of working as a management team on how we, you know, take that feedback and um, improve the business so the health check's even healthier next time. Wow. It's very complicated. Yeah. How do you know when you've got things right? Uh, uh, for me, I guess from a marketing point of view in terms of when we've got things right, uh, again, you know, it's very much speaking to the consumers. So, again, what is that return rate of purchase? And that return rate of purchase is going to tell me that we're producing product right, that it's tasting great, uh, that we're communicating them to the, to, in the right way. Um, so, you know, we can do that through surveys, again, web traffic um, and our purchasing rate. Um, I think, Matt, you know, in terms of um, from your point of view, Um, a lot of it is also looking at, you know, what our capacity planning, you know, that is a really big health check for us because there can be all this demand that we have, but can we supply? Mm -hmm. Um, And we definitely know when that's not going right or when we haven't got that as optimised as we can because you are missing opportunities and we need to relook at the business and the health of the business in terms of how we can help keep growing in that direction. Mm -hmm. Matt, how, how do you know when you've got things right? Uh, A big one for me is time and uh, I've mentioned here that an advantage of a family-owned or private business is that you can set strategies and execute them over a good period of time so that they work. Uh, Sometimes that's not always the case in a shareholder business where it's more Mm -hmm. short term and and you want to get a return in straight away. So at least, you know, we took months to do a strategy and I've took months to do a sales strategy when I first started. And then having that reap rewards maybe even 12 months later and some of those things that you have to be persistent on and believe in rather than chop and change all the time. So that's always important for me um, is having a strategy that people believe in and then execute it and sometimes you don't get the rewards straight away. But we're certainly seeing that now. Mm-hmm. When you say uh, people, you mean staff, yeah? Yeah, mm. staff, our distributors, uh, you know. Repeating the strategy many mm. times over. Uh, a lot of people think that if you tell someone something once, that that's the only time you have to tell them. But uh, I have the same agenda for all of my 
meetings with distributors around the country every month and we touch on the same things every month just to make sure that um, they're doing and executing the strategy that we've agreed and some of them are doing such a good job that they are executing those strategies in for, for other suppliers. So um, we like to think that we're setting a benchmark and that's our goal is is to do the right thing and set benchmarks that others can follow and it's, it's great to be verified that we're leading the way in a few things. Fantastic. How much have you had to factor in external changes over the last two years and how has this affected your plans? Well, um, we had an initial huge loss of business in food service and airlines with the, with the lack of travel and uh, restaurants and cafes being locked down or closed and um, we had a for example, a distributor in Melbourne lose 100 cafes permanently in Melbourne that closed. Mm. So we we dropped significantly for a little while, but then were able to recover a lot in retail. Uh, people were spoiling themselves a little bit more in retail and looking for premium products and things like that. So we were able to pick up a lot in retail. And I guess a blessing in disguise was that we weren't maximised in retail yet. So focused our, what we needed to think in retail and our strategy in retail to realise that there was a lot more growth there. So now that we're coming back into those other markets, um, we've got a much more secure strategy in retail. Uh, we've, we'll come from a higher base, which we can leverage more to grow in other areas. Mm. And Monique, what, what would you say about the external changes over the last two years and how your plans have been affected? Yeah, so just building on what Matt said then, I think what we've had to really accelerate, yes, we've got retail business, but it's been really accelerating e-com. Um, so huge growth um, in e-com, but it showed that as a business we needed to invest more in it because there's a big opportunity in it. Uh, so there's been a new website um, in the last year, more investment in that area, and that potential, I guess, is, is just huge in terms of what we can fulfil. So certainly it's really exciting for me seeing that potential and I think the business seeing the potential of, of how untapped that is. Um, so, yes, that's probably been the biggest biggest opportunity that's come out of that. Mm-hmm. And so if you were to give business owners one piece of advice about business health checks, mm-hmm. what would that be? Look, for me, I think it's have the whole business from top to bottom aligned um, on what those health checks are. So what are those key measures? Um, put some measures, put some KPIs there and have your have regular check-ins. Again, I think we do a good job of updating the business weekly on where we are against a lot of these health checks so that it keeps everyone aligned and knowing what we're doing and why we're doing it um, and if it's working or not. And it also then gives everyone opportunity to help workshop if there are challenges or opportunities um, mm. as well so they can be part of that solution um, and that result in the end. Mm-hmm. So it sounds you do sort of weekly checks almost. So you it must take up a lot of time, does it, or you factor no, it in? We, I'd say, you know, our weekly meetings of the senior manager are really short, sharp and top line. If there's any deeper issues, you can have another meeting, but it's just to quickly check off the tops. Then you can have, you know, deeper meaning, deeper um uh, catch-ups with your team in terms of your execution plan. Um, and then Will even does once the month, once a month. He touches base with each of our teams, gives them a business update so they get more of a one-on-one with him um, to really hear what's going on. So it's very transparent, which I think is really um, empowering for everyone. Yeah. And so, Matt, would, what, what would your piece of advice be for business owners about business health checks? Well, I'll do them. <laughs> <laughs> um, and be present and involved and engaged in those, in those areas. And another thing that I really like about Brook Farm and other companies I've worked for is having some healthy challenge between departments. So there's a level of collaboration that's needed, but some healthy challenge so that one KPI offsets another so that 
you are working more collaboratively and at least, you know, if operations can make more than I can sell, that challenges me to sell more mm-hmm. um, and vice yeah. versa. So if you have that healthy challenge in the business, that helps drive performance. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. Thank you so much. No worries. Thank you for having us. You're welcome. Thanks. Cam Hogan established Dollars Making Sense in 2018. She has over 25 years accounting experience, mostly in manufacturing organisations, including Norco, Master Foods and Bosch. She loves numbers and the power that comes when a business has them under control, rather than having the numbers control the business. Hello, Cam. Welcome to Business Bites. Thank you, Angela. How long have you been running your own business for? So I started it in November 2018. Um, prior to that, I'd had a long career in commercial manufacturing. So I'd done CFO roles for our local Norco, for example, and I'd done commercial roles in Melbourne and all over the place with Mars, just working in manufacturing commercial roles, helping the business make more money. And what I discovered was that I was um, wanting a change, both family-wise around children and ageing parents, uh, and also personally around the job satisfaction of I got you know a little bit tired of big corporates and decided I'd take a risk and start my own business. And I started off with one client going, well, surely there are small businesses out there that need my brain and my help. And um, it went from there and, you know, three and a bit years later, of yeah, it's, it got a bit bigger and I've now got a staff member and I just love what I do every day now. Oh, that's so great. And so uh, what are the major ways in which running a big business is different to running your own small business? Look, I think it's all very much the same concept around know where you're going. So when I read the questions earlier today, I thought, what's the best way to explain that without saying like a complete nerd and sending everybody to sleep? Um, And I thought, well, it's a bit like sitting in an AFL game when you've got a score and when you don't have the score. So if you're sitting in the middle of the MCG watching Collingwood win, of course, perhaps, (laughs) um, you're sitting there watching the AFL and... Um, If you don't do any planning or if you don't know where you're going, it's a bit like watching the game and there is no scoreboard and you get to the end and you say to the ref who won. Whereas if you do some business planning um, and you do it well and you monitor yourself as you go and you check the score each each end, each quarter, um, then you actually know where you're going and then the coach at quarter time knows how to change um, Collingwood's performance so that they can w- play better and then win. So it's a bit like that. So, and it's no different uh, to a big business to a small business. Uh, I was lucky enough to have some really good training when I was young with Mars and um, I got really good business training in cash flow forecasting and how to do some decent reporting. And then I just went with that through my career and developed it with other businesses. Um, and so now I do with local businesses. Some businesses want detailed budgets and reporting, which is great, and we do that, and some don't. So I just talk about, well, what's your weekly target? What sales do you need to hit to make your profit? And, and you've got to work it out, but if you tell them what the top line is that they've got to hit every week or month to make the profit they want, and they just have to remember one number, then that can work as well. Do you think it's advisable for uh, business owners to do a little bit of training, the kind that you mentioned? I think they need to know where they're going, yes. So they either need to YouTube it and work it out themselves or get get a little bit of training around how to actually run their business better so that they can hit their goals. Because if you don't know where you're going, you're just jumping in the car with a blindfold on. 
Um, so you really do need to set the set the target. You know, wh- where am I off to? Am I going to Brisbane? How do I get there? Rather than just get in the car and drive with no, you know, no known destination, which might be fun for a bit. But um, I do see a lot of businesses that really go, oh, I've got money in the bank, I think, but I don't really know how I'm performing. And that's stressful. Whereas you, if you know where you're going and you track it um, and you check back in on it weekly or monthly to work out, am I hitting my target, then the stress just comes away from the people that you're dealing with. And, and, on, and I do have a really firm view that if you don't set a target, you can't hit it. Yeah. That makes sense. It's deep, isn't it? <laughs> so when you started up your own business, Cam, what sort of business planning did you do? For myself, I made sure I had enough money behind me in case I didn't make anything for six months. So I firstly saved some money so I could start and go, right, I don't need to worry about the mortgage or the school fees or the bills, just so I could concentrate on starting. Uh, and then I sat down and wrote my own website, which you know nobody probably clicks on, but you have to have one. And then I started working out, well, how do I get clients? How do I get my name out there? Because accountants are reputational. Um, You know, things like uh, Facebook advertising don't work for accountants, in my view. Um, Websites don't really work. It's all about, do you know a good accountant? And then it's some education. It was some education around um, every time I meet someone, they go, oh, you're an accountant. Can you do my tax? And I go, no. (laughs) Why not? I'm allergic to tax. Um, Well, because I'm not a tax accountant, so a bit like doctors and how they Mm specialise, tax accountants do the brown suit boring stuff, you know, one day a year or two days a year, and I help people run their businesses 52 weeks a year. So I'm a different specialty in actually running a business versus just doing the boring tax return at the end. We do the sexy stuff. And so you mentioned uh, about how you started up your business. What sort of planning did you do at the start? So my planning was around how do I how do I get clients? What do I have to? How many hours a week do I have to work and earn to actually just cover what I need to earn to actually you know meet my own life commitments around kids and bills and etc. So my planning was around I need to work this many hours per week therefore I need this many clients and I need to charge this much so I can actually start. And it worked within I think within the second month I paid myself. Wow. Um, Good on you. But not much. And, and then you, it went Did from you dip there. into the savings? In the first six weeks I did yes but I planned for that yeah. and, I, and I used less of it than I had you know, thought that I might. So mm-hmm. that was that was good. And so a few years down the track now, how has your plan changed? So now I plan weekly. So I look at um, a monthly target that I want to hit. And obviously, I break that down into how many weeks there are in the month. And every Friday, I go how many how close I am to that number? Am I above it or below it? How did this week go? Um, I've got a staff member, and I've put a matrix in place for her around what I need her to hit. Um, and if she overachieves it, I give her a bonus and I find that that's motivating for her and it works. Mm-hmm. So I don't have to daily manage her. I just go, well, off you go and do these tasks and and um, it, she gets paid extra off her own billing if she gets the more work done than she may have otherwise. And so you do this, I'm going to call it business health check, weekly? I do my own weekly, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and so does it end up being stressful or does it end up m- making you feel more relaxed because everything's going so well? Well, funnily enough, I love it. 
<laughs> you would hope I would. Um, no, I really like it. I like getting to the end of the week going, did I hit my target? Um, great. I can have a good weekend tick. And if not, well, what went wrong? Oh, that's right. You know, this happened with that child or that happened with my elderly mother and, you know, I missed a day's work or whatever. So, um, but I think it's really, I, I say to clients, do it on a Monday or a Friday, whichever one suits you best. Mm-hmm. Um Doing it midweek probably is, you know, you're midway through achieving what you need to achieve. So I tend to do it on a Friday so that I can go into the weekend, you know, forgetting about work, which I do really well, um, and then come back to it next Monday and start again and do the next week. And so is it important to be flexible in your business planning? Oh, absolutely. So it's like today, for example, I, you know, looked at my week and went, right, I've got that meeting on tomorrow um, and, you know, that client cancelled, I think, for the third time and I went, no worries, just let me know when you, you wouldn't need to reschedule it. So then I bring other things into my week that I know that I need to get done from my to-do list, which is long. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I, I think if you're not flexible with – in your own business, if you're not flexible with your clients and if you're rigid and um, – difficult to deal with they don't come back because I'm a service so if they don't like my service that they, they can go anywhere else um, that they choose so I, I need to be flexible to meet their needs and, and doing their best isn't about isn't about you know it's not probably the most important thing they're doing all week it's it's more about what they need to do in their business to pay their bills and feed their kids and have their life and so when things aren't going according to your business plan is it important to be able to pivot absolutely so um december was an interesting month for us because like in my business because i noticed that people were coming down into christmas and it was a um, it was a five-week wage month i went oh gee i don't think we're going to hit our numbers this month And, and we didn't for the first time in like 18 months and 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 i talked to my staff member about it and said oh well we'll just have another go next month so you, you just got to reset and go, there's no point going, oh, my God, that's absolutely terrible. It's the end of the world. You need to look at your numbers and, and, the, and the drivers in your business. So what drives your sales, what drives your expenses, what drives your cash flow and pull on a lever. So, so you know, pull on a lever around how do I get more sales, you know, do this. How do I reduce my expenses? Right, do that. So you've, you've got to know what your drivers are within your financial so that you can pull one when you need to. So for example, in a, in a bigger business, they if they miss their sales target a couple of months in a row, they might have um, you know some one-off spend in there. I've got one client that had some, you know, a website build in their, in their numbers and, and we've kept an eye on that number going, well, you can't really do that until you hit the sales number so and she listens and she hasn't spent the website number yet because the sales number hadn't hit and she, and she probably needs to do the website to fix the sales but it's just managing around your own cash flow around when you spend that money on investment to drive the sales number because ultimately you need to be in funds and solvent makes sense and so cam do you have any advice for other people in business when it comes to planning when it comes to business health checks. Absolutely. So doing business without a plan is, you know, I don't think very sensible. Um, and I do find that the clients I have that budget and plan hit their numbers or hit a better number than they th- otherwise would have versus the ones that don't budget and plan. So if that's doing a detailed monthly budget within the business at the detail level, great, do it. 
and, you know, load it into your system and report against it. But if that's too much for the way, you know, people think and, oh, God, I just can't do that detail, then work out what you need to sell to make your profit each month and, and make sure you're hitting that number each um, each week or each month to, to hit your target. Because what I, what I ultimately find is um, if, you, if you go in five years' time, I want to be, you know, whatever, I want to have, you know, this turnover and this profit, you've got to actually work out what the first step is on the five-year plan. And the best way to do that is, you know, do a yearly target. I want to hit A, B, C, D. Um, and then you've got to break out, break down the first year into monthly or weekly chunks to go, right, well, this month to get to my five-year plan, I need to do this. And that starts with today and this week. And if you are doing um, your numbers and you're hitting your numbers today and this week, then you'll hit your five-year plan if everything else flows. So it's being methodical and not, not overthinking it. Like you don't, people don't need to do, you know, you can do three-day strategy sessions and, you know, bore yourself to death. Um, <laughs> you don't have to be that complicated to, you know, to, to complete it. I, I can throw a quick spreadsheet together, with, you know, within, you know, half a day of, well, this is what it would look like. Is that right? And then you actually load it into zero or whatever system they're using and report against it to make sure you get to where you want to go. Because mm. if you plan, you will achieve. I, I absolutely know that for myself, for the other businesses I work for, it's absolute fact in my view. That's that's a great slogan, isn't it? If you plan, you achieve. Correct. Mm. Yep. Cam, great to have you on. Thank, Thank you, you so much. Thanks a lot. That was Cam Hogan, whose company, Dollars Making Sense, provides accounting services to business. Thanks to our guests today, Associate Professor David Noble from Southern Cross University, Matt Ott and Monique Smith from Brook Farm, and of course Cam Hogan from Dollars Making Sense. Their insight into business health checks was practical and relevant for businesses of any size and nature. The Business Bites podcast series is a collaboration between Southern Cross University and Northern Rivers Food. Southern Cross now offers the new Bachelor of Business and Enterprise at its Lismore campus, and for the March 2023 intake, the university is offering a scholarship worth $5,000 to every student who enrols. This new degree can help the brightest commercial minds to stay in our region. Perhaps that's you someone in your business, or someone you know. Find out more at scu.edu.au. Northern Rivers Food is the region's not-for-profit, member-based food organisation. Established by people from the paddock to the plate, Northern Rivers Food supports and connects people in the industry, developing skills and opportunities, and celebrates the unique food of our region at every turn. To get involved, visit northernriversfood.org. Business Bites is proudly funded by the New South Wales Government and I hope you'll join us for the next episode. I'm Angela Caterns. Thanks for listening. Listener.